Oh, Dave, you look like you need a kip, old son. I do, I always do. Oh, you're not getting enough sleep. What you need, Ol, is a natural mat mattress. And what we'd like to talk about this time is Natural Mat Mattresses Mattress for Life initiative. Oh, what is that? It's easy for you to say. That's what it is, right. Dave. Now, look, look. Natural Mat make mattresses for life. And they mean it because they don't want their mattresses ending up in landfill like 5 million mattresses in the UK do every year. Uh, these mattresses are made from natural biodegradable or recyclable materials and they're specially designed so that when you're done with them, they can be broken down into their tiddly little bits and used again. So, when your natural mat mattress reaches the end of its life in about 10 years' time, that's a lot of sleeping, Dave, uh, you could do three things. You can either refurbish it, you can recycle it, or indeed, you can donate it to people who need it more than you do, all via natural mat. And they're the only company in the UK who do that stuff. Fantastic stuff, Ol. Well, we will not be down about that, and that'll put a spring in our step as we look forward to lying down in autumn. Yes? Very good, Dave. So go to naturalmat.co.uk to check it out. And if you use the code BABBLE15, both online and in the showrooms, then you will get 15% off their natural mat beds, mattresses, toppers, and indeed bedding. I mean, Ollie. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 267. Welcome yourself all to Sustainable 267. We are your friendly little weekly environment podcast, ain't we all? We are. All about slithery things that slither in the sea, where you might find them, and their mystery, yes? Yes. And what are we going to be picking up the end of and looking down the gullet of this week, Ollie? Eel let you know it's eels, Dave. We're going to be looking at, and indeed in, eels this week. Crikey Moses, have we then exhausted COP27, the fate of the planet, and now we're contenting ourselves with looking down the end of a long, thin fish? Uh, well, you might put it like that. I, on the other hand, would say within the story of the eel lurks a greater narrative and perhaps... A, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That was going to be so poetic. A parable for the fate of humanity and what the future might look like for all of us. Uh, so, yeah, in a way, we are doing the big stuff just through the vector of the slippery stuff. Yeah, properly interesting beastie, your eel. All has done some research. All is going to talk about eels, and I am going to shut up and listen. Um, so that's what's going to happen. Now, just before... Uh, well, well, mm, well, mm? To, mm, well, to an extent... I. The thing is, the thing is, when we've done episodes like this before, and that's quite a rarity where I've done all of the thinking and reading and stuff, what then happens is that I shout at you for an hour because I'm like, I've read a thing. Here's another thing I've read. Oh, and Dave, I know this as well. And when I listen to those back, I, I loathe it. I loathe me. And I, so can you sort of help? make that okay. not happen this time 
Yeah, all right. We're going to get out the um, the alto saxophone of justice, which when there is some old splaining going on, <laughs> the alto saxophone will be used. Right, just before the old splaining, we do work for environmental charities, don't we all? He'll do. <laughs> These are very much our own views. So, if anything that you hear makes you come over all endangered and squiggly, take it up with me and all directly, but not with anyone for whom we work. Yes? Absolutely. I would hate to be jellied. Oh, I can't make a pun out of jellied. No, it's hard. It's like eel puns are difficult. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yes, that. Tell us, don't tell the people we work for. Shall we get on with it? On with it! Crikey Moses, I did not know that. Yes, this is the section where we go, ooh, surprising! Heavens to Betsy. Heavens to Betsy. Who is Betsy? Do um, you talk about so often? I don't know, but she's having heavens. Let's have a look, shall we? Heavens. Okay. You find that out. So I'll carry on telling that, the yeah. class what we're going to do. Uh, yeah. Yes, we get all surprised by stuff we found out. And actually, we're basking in somebody else's surprise, really, because there was a Twitter thread which did the rounds by somebody called Dr. Emily Finch, uh, who is not an expert on eels. Uh, she's an expert on geology. But she got well excited about eels once she started finding out about it. And it was a very good thread and it tickled our fancy. So we decided we would do a podcast about eels. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. They are just extraordinary. And I'm sure, like, I'm sure there'll be someone out there who's like a woodlouse expert. It's like, you should do an expert on uh, an episode on woodlice. We should do an ex- expert amazing. on woodlices. And I'm sure they are amazing. But I bet you they're not as amazing as eels. This reminds me of the time that me and Jumbo Mills set up a seafood stall outside the Nags Head. Eels on wheels, we called it. Uh, no one knows who Betsy is. Right. It just means when you say heavens to Betsy, it's just like someone once said that. It just means heavens. It's just like saying heavens. Uh, right, have you done the intro bit? I was reading about Betsy. <laughs> yes, I think, we're, I think we're done. Essentially... I just wanted to chat about eels and say Fine. how amazing they are. Now, right, oi, now, some, now, what? no, what? shut up and listen. Hmm? Now, listen, before you start, right, here's yes. what I want you to do. In 30 seconds. Oh, no, not one of these. Yes. In 30 seconds, uh, I want you to say, just cover as if you were doing a contents page. I want you to cover the story of this episode. So what are the things that we're going to talk about in this episode? All go. We're going to cover off some facts about eels, like your facts. What, you know where they come from, where sea. Uh, the, the sea, that sort of stuff. Um, who eats them? Why they're buggered? Obviously, they're buggered, uh, and what the future holds. But what we're really going to get onto is the kind of extraordinary hold they've had over our humanity's imagination for a very long time, and how there are still massive, massive questions not known about who they are, where they come from, and all that. very much what is an eel it's a fish is it yeah it's a funny looking bloody fish though isn't it well Great yes long they're all thing. sorts it's of not... funny looking fish so, so is it any of the following things snake no water snake no water worm no 
So those little, when eels are little, they look a lot like water worms, but you're telling me that's a fish. Yeah. Well, in the same way that like a frog, when it's little, looks like a tadpole. Well, it is a tadpole. Yes. But it doesn't What's look happening? like a, You don't look at the tadpole and go, well, that doesn't look anything like a frog, therefore not a frog. I'm just seeking to ascertain. It's a eel. fish. It's a right. fish. Type of fish. And yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen an eel. Like strange looking fish, I'll give you that. But then look at the topmouth gudgeon or the. What was that fish. one that. Uh, blobfish. We, the, the Donald Olive, Trump fish. Uh, the blobfish. The blobfish. It's a blobfish. But what was the one that um, Olive, Dr. Olive Heffernan said something about in the Deep Seas episode? That very oh, strange, horrible looking remember. fish there. Lantern yeah. fish. That's pretty cool. Very so it's cool. a fish. It's, it's a, fish. a fish. It's a fish. If you've now, never seen an eel before, and some people may not have because oh. they are endangered, as we shall come to, what does an eel look like? Oh, look, you can't just launch straight into facts about eels, assuming a base level of knowledge about eels. Okay. An eel is long. It's slimy. It's slithery. Uh, they can be about a metre long. In the sea. Fish. Well, all over. But they're... they're I mean, we'll get on to this. But they are... I think unique in that they they live in freshwater as their various stages of their life, but then they go to saltwater to spawn. Whereas, like lots of other fish, do the uh, the the opposite. So, like a salmon will be swimming around in the sea, and then it will come up and spawn in the freshwater. This does the opposite. Maybe it's not unique in doing that, but anyway, it it does that. Thing I did want to say though. Which is the the electric eel. Guess what the electric eel isn't? Fish. Uh, no. It is electric. a fish. Uh, it is electric. An, an eel. Correct. It is not uh. an eel. The electric <laughs> eel, I discovered, is isn't not it? an eel. No. What's a flying... It's like a flying fox. That's not a fox either. Not a fox, yeah. <laughs> Hang on, I, I've now forgotten what it actually is, but it's... A cricket of, bat? That's not a bat. <laughs> It's a type of fish. What is it? Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, knife fish. Yes, it's a type of knife fish. There you go. Electric eel. So when people talk about electric eels, they're not talking about eels. There you go. Isn't that strange? Oh, look at the little eels. Oh, electric eels. Is that actually a thing? Now, I'm sorry to derail. I'm sorry, this is what you asked me to do this. I'm doing this. I'm derailing you from being tedious. Does an electric eel actually give you a shock? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So so if you go picking, you go interfering with an eel, that is likely to get you buzzed. Well, if you, no, because it's not an eel. But if you go interfering with an electric eel, which is right. a knife fish, which is kind of more closely related to catfish, uh, then yeah, you'll get... Catfish, you'll get, you'll get a, not a cat. You'll get a buzz. Hang on, look. Electric, electrophysiology. Uh, oh, this looks complicated. Isn't nature amazing? I mean, that's an amazing thing in itself, isn't it? That you can get electrocuted off a fish. That's pretty mental. Yeah, because that's how it kills its prey. It, like, shocks them and then eats them. So there you go. Right. Uh, what was I doing? I we was have now ascertained what an eel is. Okay. It is not a fox or a cricket <laughs> or a cat. It is neither of those things. Now, look, what it is, is kind of widespread, or at least it used to be. Um, very, very common in basically every lake, river, stream, pond, all over the place in um, in mainland Europe, in North America, uh, in, in Asia as well. Very, very common. Uh, but the thing that is a bit wild about them is that no one could ever find their babies. 
um, or specifically, no one could ever find their eggs or where their eggs were laid, where they spawned, and no one could ever work out where their balls and their ovaries were, uh, including <laughs> yes? you. No, I haven't looked, but I tell you, it did look, which was Sigmund Freud. Oh, well, this explains a great deal. Well, it kind of does. So he, at some point when he was quite young, went to Trieste, place, have you been to Trieste? I've been to Trieste, it's a very nice place, Uh, place port in Italy. And he would bother all the fishermen when they came back with their eels and he'd buy all the (laughs) eels and he would spend hours, like hours every single day, dissecting eels, trying to find their sex parts. And... There's a quote from him uh, in an extraordinary article, which I'll put in the show notes, in The New Yorker, where he says, My hands are stained by the white and red blood of the sea creatures. All I see when I close my eyes is the shimmering dead tissue which haunts my dreams. And all I can think about are the big questions, the ones that go hand in hand with testicles and ovaries, the universal pivotal questions. There was definitely no sign there that he was going to forge a career being obsessed with cocks, is there? <laughs> I just... Bloody hell. You do wonder if the signs were there that we perhaps shouldn't have entrusted all of our understanding about human psychology to this man. But, but this, uh, is, this is an interesting go. thing, because it had never occurred to me to inquire one way or the other about Anil's sexy bits. It no. never occurred to me it was a mystery. About an eel's sexy bits. But I can see how if you were around and you saw eel and like next year you saw different eel and you were like, how the hell has more eels turned up? Yeah. And you didn't know about the stuff we now know about eels, which is that there's like a stork that comes and delivers eels into the water. (laughs) That's right. I can see it would drive you a bit bonkers because presumably like like other fish, we knew how they worked, but eels, we did not know how they worked. Exactly. So this is the thing. I had no idea about this, but but genuinely, the great minds of philosophy and science had been asking for like thousands of years. So how do baby eels get born, essentially? Same sort of time as Freud. There was this dude, uh, this one, an actual scientist. Well, I know Freud was a scientist, but it was a weird one. Uh, German biologist Max Schultz. And apparently when he died, lying on his de- deathbed, he observed that he was leaving the world where... And I quote, all the important questions have now been settled. All of them, that is, except the eel question. I think the people in this country have had enough of experts. Now, look, it wasn't just the swanking great intellectuals who were concerned about these things. Uh, Because they were so common and they were like a massive staple of uh, people's diet, but also just everywhere, it got ordinary people... uh, like noticing the fact that they never saw them shagging. They never saw them uh, laying their eggs. They never saw them with their willies or their front bottoms. Are they the correct terms? I don't know if it's accurate for an eel. I don't know. the f- Like, do they have a back bottom? I think they had a back bottom. I think they, yes, because they were... Do fish have both a front bottom and a back bottom? Yeah, well, I mean, yes, they do. And got like fishy cloacas. Sorry? Fishy cloacas. Is that the name of your first band from school? I was just about to say, I've got, I like their first album. Um, <laughs> no, well, anyway, let's not let's not go into no, cloacas. Not, no, no, let's not go into that. But the point is, uh, lots of people noticed they'd never seen 
any of this stuff. So people were very, very confused for a long time as to what the hell was going on with the eels. And when people are confused, Dave, what do they do? They reach for crazy theories. Uh, right. So, okay, good. So we have established that for years and years and years, people didn't know where baby eels come from. So what did people think then? That, like, what, they just kind of arrived? They were magicked into being? Basically, yeah. Um, so the ancient Egyptians apparently believed that eels were produced by the sun warming the Nile. And I think, like, if you're going to have a conspiracy, you can do a bit better than that. That's a bit boring. Uh, Aristotle. Well, I think they probably knew where the eels were coming from, but they were just in denial. Ooh, nasty. There's just no excuse for that. What were you saying? I'm so sorry. Aristotle or something. What did he say? Oh, yeah. Aristotle, he thought that they emerged spontaneously from mud and rainwater. Pliny the Elder, and I haven't clicked oh, on that yeah. link, oh, so I can't Pliny, tell you Pliny, oh, Pliny the Elder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thought that new eels developed when old eels rubbed away parts of their bodies on rocks. Oh, like Etonians. <laughs> uh, yes, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, there's a, some Scottish, an unnamed Scottish author here uh, had the belief that they began their life as beetles, which I suppose isn't that crazy when you think about like i was saying if you think about how a tadpole turns into it's a edging a bit closer to the truth isn't it exactly um and some of them uh some some people thought that they just came out of the sea out of like sea foam but uh my favorite bit by some distance is a theory that um was widespread in the english countryside and this tells you a lot about countryside folk uh which is that eels were born when hairs from horses' tails fell into the water. And I just want to remind you that it didn't say some people or a few people in the English countryside thought that. It said most. And I I just think that does tally with my experience of the English countryside, which is it's largely batshit crazy. And I grew up there. I'm, I'm allowed to say that. Step forward a few years and gradually people tried managed to work out what was going on here, which is that the eel, where previously they thought it was like four distinct animals, because you have, uh, although very few people ever saw this, you, at the early stage you have like tiny larvae thing. Then you have very small thing called glass eel, which looks a little bit like vermicelli, if you know what vermicelli is. Uh, Place for Aston Villa. That's right, yeah, big number nine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like kind of see through, see through pasta really, and that's as they as they emerge from the ocean and swim into the lakes and rivers uh, on the sh- in uh, on the shore. Does that make sense? You know what lakes and rivers are. Uh, they look like tiny little see through wormy things in the sea, and then when they get uh, more established, they turn into these things called yellow eels eventually, and that's the kind of that's basically what you see most of the time. And it's only when they decide they want to turn into a mummy or a daddy eel. Um, specifically a mummy eel, that they then transfer into the silver eel and bugger off out to sea. And only at that point, Dave, do they start to develop their sex parts. And that is why... That's why... Mr Freud and co. could never find the bloody sex parts because they were looking at eels that had been caught inland who were still very happily not doing sex things. And what they should have been looking at is the eels who had decided for a reason and at a time we can't quite work out 
why still that it's time to go and make baby eels and to bugger off uh, into the ocean. That would be quite useful, wouldn't it, in the scheme of things? I have to say, if you only develop sex parts when you need them, like, you know, you just got, they're not, they're not just generally there getting in the way and making things mushy and complicated, but that you could just decide, right, this year, I'm going to, I would like to do some shagging and then your sex parts appear. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be better. Yes. I mean, I'm all for, you know, planning one's life to a T, but I think there might be room for some spontaneity and, um, you know, going off piece uh, in life. But let's say you could dial up your sex parts in a, you know, in, in a 15 minute window or something. That would be. I can, mate. That would be useful. <laughs> Where they go, and this is mind-blowing, but every single eel that is eventually an adult eel in Europe or an adult eel in North America is born in the Sargasso Sea, Dave. Do you know where the Sargasso Sea is? Uh, I do, because I looked it up earlier, but it is not where I thought it was, I have to say. Um, Where did you think it was? Uh... Not there. I thought it was kind of like uh, off Africa or something. Jumping twenty five of the M six. Yeah. No, it's all this kind of mysterious thing, isn't it? And and like mysterious guy. Like, is it a sea? Does it get? Does it count as a sea? I don't know. What is a sea anyway? What is a sea anyway? Very good question. Very good question, Dave. Well, it is a sea because they call it a sea, but it's not a sea how you might un- uh, imagine it. In that, it's not bound by land. It's not. That's not what gives it its border. It's bound by these four ocean currents, which, functioning together, create a sort of vortex, if you like. They they all move clockwise and spinny-spinny, which makes the Sargasso see this kind of contained body of, of water. And it is, um, so it's kind of off the coast of the East Coast. It's in the North Atlantic, so it's off the East Coast of America, above, uh, what's that, the West Indies and above the other bits around there like Cuba and stuff um and it's yeah it's kind of this spooky mysterious place and it's full of like um plastic well yes (laughs) (laughs) yes that wasn't where I was going but yes yes um, sounds sounds to me like what we've got there is a great big plug hole um which attracts both eels and lego bricks pretty much (laughs) yes very much so uh it is one of the many big whirling masses of uh plastic in the ocean um what's his name your your boyan thingamajig who's done the oh boyan slat that's the one i don't think he's operating i think he's doing in the pacific isn't he he's doing his barge thing in the Pacific, but we need to get him over to Sargasso Sea. Although if he was there, we've got to be very careful that he doesn't hoover up all sorts of baby eels and all sorts of baby other things in the process, because this place is where they all breed. So they go there. So they so they they don't grow up here until they get to the Sargasso Sea, or anyway, on the way there. They get there. Yeah. They get there. It's like a little vortexy thing. So they're all safe. They've been sort of sucked into the plug hole of sex. They have some sex, and then babies come out, and the babies spin out of the plug hole of sex and go back out where they come from. Is that pretty (laughs) much what happens? Flung, flung. They do like a slingshot. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, Yes. We think that's what happens, but astonishingly, no one has yet. When you say we think, you don't. 
You don't think that, that no, implies no, you I've have read, that, that implies you are an eelologist. I have read and eelologist. You are an eelologist. <laughs> I have read and eelologists have discovered or not discovered <laughs> that um, the, the this is where it happens, but they've never seen it and. Can I can I bang on about the the history of like how this was arrived at? How people <clears> found themselves. I've got the alto saxophone of justice here, so you can. Uh... Okay, I will try. The thing is, I find this really fascinating, but it doesn't mean I'm likely to bang on. Well, look, um, you've got to put a link in the show notes to more information, so that you don't have to cover literally everything about yours. Right? Okay, all right. I'm going to put the alto saxophone of justice down for now. Hello, and welcome to Jazz Club, bringing you all that's best in the world of jazz. Nice. <laughs> well, first of all, I implore everybody to read a book called um, The Book of Eels. Which What's it about? It's about lions. Oh. No, it's about eels, and apparently it's very good, and it's referenced heavily in this article in The New Yorker that I will put in notes, which is very, very good, by someone called Brooke Jarvis. Thank you, Brooke Jarvis. Should have said that earlier. But anyway... One of the things it talks about is this extraordinary Danish dude called Johannes Schmidt. And he essentially dedicated his entire life to trying to work out where eels came from. Um, and I'm not sure whether his marriage survived this, but at one point in the early 20th century, he left his family in Copenhagen and disappeared for seven years going up and down the coast, trying to right. find tiny yep. eels. Yeah. Did he find any? Uh, he did, yeah. How many? Um, w- uh, one. Let me get this straight. His story is, when he gets back, his story to his wife is that he was so interested in eels that he went looking for baby eels. Took him seven years, but here's the proof. And he comes back with this sprattling thing. And that's the that's his story, is it? Where he's been for seven years. Yes, although I don't think he went back. I think what I'm he did surprised. at that point <laughs> was probably the calculation was, I'm not sure this is going to go down well enough. I think I need to find out some more stuff. Long story short, it took him 19 years, but he oh. did work out that eels were born in the Sargasso Sea. And I mean, fair play to the guy. He's an absolute machine. He, he would like, he paid all these shipping fleets to start netting for baby eels, like really seriously tiny, tiny things. And through, through like working out where they were being caught and where they were slightly smaller than the ones that had been caught previously through a painstaking process of, of elimination, he realised he tracked them down basically to the Sargasso Sea and it took him the best part of two decades to work that out. But he still never saw, he never saw the eggs and he never saw an adult giving birth. I don't think he ever saw an adult and I'm not sure anyone's yet seen an adult, adult uh, eel in the Sargasso Sea, but he did prove as far as he could be proven at that stage that that's where they were born. Is that why we call it a process of elimination? That's extremely good. Dave! Oh, 
Now, look, you're a Londoner, aren't you? Yes. London Dave, that's what we call you. Yeah. What happens to your uh, your coffee grounds, Dave, in that there London? I thought they went to the great refuse bin in the sky, Oh. Well, some maybe, but many are collected by our friends at UpCircle, who cycle around London daily, collecting leftover grounds from coffee shops and transforming them into skincare products. Coffee oil, Dave, is extracted from the leftover grounds and used in their face serum for its brightening properties. Now, it's a five-in-one product, this bad boy, and for under £15, you get something which hydrates your face, Dave. I've got a lot of face. Softens ends of your hair. Not relevant. Not your hair. Uh, Supports nail growth. Uh, It's good you can put it in your beard. Not relevant for you. Not my beard. Uh, And it can be mixed with your foundation. So there you go, Dave. Well, there's nothing I like more than mixing things in with my foundation. And because this is UpCircle Beauty, it can be refilled as part of their return, refill, reuse scheme when you're done with it. So if this sounds good, you can get yours for 15% off at upcirclebeauty.com just by using the special code just for you, dear Babble listener, Babble Circle. Is it true, is it true, one of my limited bits of eel research that I did, that at the point when your eel decides it wants to be a mummy eel or a daddy eel, mummy eel, whatever, there it goes, right, I'm off to the saga, I'm, I'm off to the sex plug hole to get flung about a bit. <laughs> that, uh, at that point, <laughs> it stops eating. That bar. <laughs> it stops eating and it starts to ingest itself from the inside. So that, yes. like, it eventually, and that's basically, so it spawns and then dies, and it dies because it's it consumed all its energy getting back to the sex plug hole. Well, it dies because it's, it's <laughs> it's consumed itself. Yeah, it, it no longer has a stomach. I think because oh, it doesn't. Just... As it spends the first twenty or thirty years of its adult life. Not oh, sorry, needing... what thirty years? Oh, some of them live older than that. Yeah, there's one dude in Sweden who claims that the. <laughs> now this is an interesting claim, and I haven't looked into this, but he claims that the eel in his backyard pond is 155, or at least was 155, and it died. Now. I don't think that he claims he is 155, so I'm interested to know how he builds his claim. But but there are certainly more credible uh, claims of eels having lived to like 85 uh, in captivity. But yes, most of them wow. most of them get to around something about sort of 30 ish, some much older, before they decide to go and make baby eels. And obviously, for the first 30 years of their life, they haven't needed sex parts, so the bit of their body that uh, ultimately become sex parts is their tummy, their stomach. And on their journey, they dissolve, you are right, they dissolve their stomach and live off those that wow. the energy from that and grow the sex parts in their place and then do their sex thing and die. Imagine if humans did that, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Like you'd get to your 30s and then you'd go like, you'd suddenly go, right, my eyes are gone all poppy and you'd stop eating and you'd start to digest yourself and you'd go off to the park and have sex with like the first person that you see and then immediately die. Do you remember when we spoke to Luke Turner? I do. He said that when he was living in St Albans, the high street was a bit like that, Mm. which surprises me because it's extremely, you know, genteel now. But there we go. Genteel. Genteel! Wow! Right, stop that! Silly! Right, have we... Have we well, come on, what are the real facts? Come on, hurry up. What real facts have you got? Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about eating eels. Um, ah, right, good. Should we talk about eating eels? Because that's probably what I was going to think about. If you Before I read all of this stuff, if you'd said to me eels, I would have instantly thought of 
Poor blimey governor. Well, well, uh, I mean, as a good Cockney lad, you know, I was raised on jelly deals. You know, that's all we had. That and pie and mash jelly deals. Were you a Cockney? Were you were you born within the the Bell Bow? Uh, well, no, I wasn't. Was I, I was born in in, in Bow Bell, West London? But like, according to some Aston Villa fans that I was speaking to the other day, I'm a Cockney bastard. So there you are. <laughs> that's nice of them. Mm. Half right. Jelly deals, old oh, jelly deals. We liking it, but the old, but the old. Oh, as your father, pieces of eight uh, apples and pears, jelly deals. Yep. That's right. Yeah, put on a whistle yep. and flute and go uh, and have some eels. Yes, look, they were synonymous with the East End of London and that yep. there, England, and basically yep. nowhere else because it's apparently rank. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise! Jelly, jelly, nice. But why do you want to put eels in jelly for? Well, Dave. Uh, this was exactly my thought. I was like, mm. jelly sounds quite nice. I'm sure I could stomach a bit of eel to get through some nice jelly. But it's not jelly as you and I might know it. No, you boil the boil the eels up with a little bit of vinegar and some spices and it makes a kind of sloopy, goopy thing, which when it cools down, solidifies into jelly. Uh... Uh, so it's not really jelly. Well, I suppose it is jelly, but it's it's just kind of cooled down solid eel so it's, it's like if I took you and I chopped you into little bits and put you in a pot with some spices and then sort of congealed all, but yeah. instead of calling it, instead of going down my local barrow market and calling it a tub of congealed all, I called it jellied all. Yeah. I reckon I actually you know what. I think that's got legs. Not eels don't. Have, but <laughs> no, but all do. does. Jellied all has yeah. legs. Yeah. I'm gonna. I've just written my will for the first time ever, which is a very. Um, Come on, you know what I want to know. Come on, overdue. Come on, Come on. what do I get? What do I get? What do I get? Can, you can have the uh, pop shield that you bought me one Christmas, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have never quite got around to mastering. Uh, but in my in my will, I'm going to set out very clearly that I would like my body not to be cremated or or buried. I want it to be turned into jellied oil, and I want you to serve it to the masses. Excuse me. Could we have an eel? Good eels down your leg. You leave them alone. Nothing down there of interest to you. Uh, no, right. Look, they were very popular for a long time. Still reasonably popular. Uh, mainly because they were cheap. Because there were so many eels around. They were flapping around in the muddy Thames estuary where there were loads of them. Uh, and crucially, they were very easy to keep alive in barrels for long enough to get them to the market. Um, so much easier and cheaper to get eels than other fish which went dead and rotty more quickly uh so yeah very popular um good way of getting protein after the second world war when rationing was in place and other types of protein were tricky and the woke what was it the tofu eating wokerati hadn't yet you know established itself as a political force it is today um yeah and the way people eat them is i mean it's rank by the sounds of things. <laughs> uh, told you how they're made. Uh, you try, you put some spices with it to try and make it uh, taste nice. And then you have it with mash and pie. And that's it. Though, in other countries where people are more sensible, uh, they had much more appetising ways of serving it. So in Sweden, they might be smoked or braised in beer, which yeah. sounds altogether more lovely. Yeah. Um, or fried in butter. Um, and in Italy, obviously, they just put them, boil them in tomato sauce because it's Italy. 
Right, good. Now we better come to whether or not eels are nosed. And we've been, you've implied in a few places that your eel is nosed. How nosed are eels? On a scale of one to nosed, they are they're kind of nos. It's just a final D, which hasn't yet been said. So very. One of the problems with there not being um, breeding adults easily, you can't find the breeding adults. That's how people, scientists, scientists people like to count a population and see how they're doing. And so the fact that we, we still can't really find them. I should have said, I should have said, the reason this is topical ah. is because for the first time ever, uh, scientists yes. did actually manage to track an adult eel all the way to the Sargasso Sea. So they put wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the year yeah. 2020, October 2022, yeah. is the first time ever yeah. that we've actually done the thing that your man Johannes Schmidt thought yeah. was the case in the 18th, whatever it was, century. Yeah. We haven't, we, to this day, or until that day, we hadn't ever actually confirmed that's what eels do. Uh, no, I mean, and they had, um, they had tried in lots it? of, very, very, quite ethically strange ways. Um, like I read somewhere that they they had kind of got an adult uh, eel, given it some hormones to kind of induce, like putting it on a heat. Is that what I mean? Yeah, induce it coming into heat uh, and like dangled it around in the Sargasso Sea trying to attract uh, adult males and um, none of that had worked. But anyway, they had finally, there is some in Nature, the big journal, they... Say first direct evidence of adult European eels migrating to their breeding place, and they did it with all these oh. like mad ass um, satellite tags that kind of pop off the eel and float to the surface and give the readings because the eels go to a thousand meters deep. They're like they're mental. Another thing we haven't said, she should have said, is how they can crawl over land. Do you want to talk oh, about that? Oh no, this is yeah, but we I don't like the sound of this really because like not only land, oh, they can crawl up dams. That's what they can do. Like if it's basically a bit soggy they can adhere to it yes and they can see so, so it's perfectly possible this has doesn't affect me because i don't have a garden it's perfectly possible that you could be asleep in your lovely house and then you might have because you live by a river hence the name of your uh where you live and um <laughs> that there could be a eel come out of that river and it could slop onto your mud and it could slop all the way up your mud and then it could slop up the walls of your house i'm and looking at the walls of my house now i'm in my shed looking at the walls of my house wondering the if there's an eel in it up there and then it could slop all the way up to your chimney and it could go down your chimney and into your open mouth if you were lying in the fireplace with your mouth open which i have done there i have are. i have lain in the fireplace with my mouth open when i was putting my uh my chimney balloon up there the other day fun fact uh, they breathe through their skin, or at least they can breathe through their skin. So, oh, whereas like normal fish would need to be fully submerged in water so that its gills mm. worked, eel just needs a little bit of water, a little bit of dampness, hence being able to climb up damn walls. They are mental. That is mental. They are mental, these creatures. Oh, dear. Yeah, there's, there's also there's like urban tales of them presumably retracing sort of ancient paths from where they are to breeding grounds and like going through drain pipes and stuff to get there. You know, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty hardcore. Nothing really stops them. They don't, 
They don't well, take you no say nothing answer. really stops them, but they are completely and utterly nosed. Uh, oh, yeah. here, are some, here are some things that do stop them. Um, so thing number one is a parasite called something, something, something crassus, which is a worm that gets in the swim bladders of eels and completely fucks them up. Like, really... Yeah really badly um, and swim bladders is the bit of a fish what allows it to swim which means if you've got a nematode worm up there you can't go and have sex um yes it's the the swim bladder is the bit that gives it buoyancy as i understand right. it yeah but you ain't going to get to the sex plug hole if you can't um get there because you because you sink yes that's yes. true you're also not going to get anywhere because you're going to die Right, um, there we are. Yes, but it's like it's a massive thing, right? So you uh, Japanese massive, yeah. eels had it, but now it's got into all the other eels, and there's a massive problem. Yeah, yeah, right? it's huge. Yeah, it's a huge problem. So the the it's a parasite which was I don't know. I don't, I'm not a scientist. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I'm not a scientist. Uh, but it was kind of fine. You've discovered the eel, does it? <laughs> it was kind of fine with uh, the eels in. Uh, bits of Asia, and now now that they're in European populations, uh, it's buggering them up very bad. Very, very bad. Uh, but uh, there are other diseases which are apparently buggering them up. Uh, and, and the obstacles. So dams, although we're like, whoa, these guys can climb up dams, obviously not ideal, I'd eel, for an eel to have to climb up a dam. Uh, locks, right. similarly. Uh, well, because they can't turn the keys. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Too much fishing, as ever. And... Hang on, and it's too much fishing because that's fishing the eels or it's fishing things that eels eat? I presume it's fishing the eels, because oh, I don't know. Bloody cockneys. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, although apparently at the height of their popularity in England, the Thames was so polluted that we imported all of our eels from Holland, um, which... I mean, that's not a million miles away from what we do with our economy now, is it? Space well, it, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but, and like, climate, change, one... I, climate change, I assume, because it's exactly. holding everything else up, is also nausing up your eel. That's a guess. So is that true? They, they think this is true. It's what with it being very hard to find the bastards, it's quite hard to study them properly. But, um, yeah, because the whole breeding ground relies on these four ocean currents doing their swirly, swirly thing... Um, and producing all of that lovely sargasm. Are you a fan of sargasm, Dave? This entire podcast is founded upon sargasm, isn't it? Very good. Sargasm, of course, being the kind of floaty, floaty seaweed which swishes around in the sargasso sea and provides a nice nursery for tiny things. Um, yeah, they're totally dependent on those currents, and the currents are getting nosed by climate change. Uh, so they speculate that that might be one of the reasons that they're all getting buggered. Because if you can't get to your breeding ground and you can't get back from your breeding ground, um, you're screwed. Bed? Beds for sleeping people! Let's get a kebab and go to a disco! And they're off their mash on drugs. We've talked about this before. <laughs> um, I can't remember when, but quite a long time ago, but about we genu de definitely have talked about cocaine in the River Thames nausing up eels. And it was the subject of, I think, my favourite headline ever. In anything. And this is a piece in the Evening Standard uh, from, how long ago was this? 2019. And the headline goes, cocaine in the River Thames is, quote, another problem eels don't need, quote, says expert. <laughs> I don't need this. Oh, this is the, I've had, you should see the week I've had, Rodney. And now this, now I'm all coked up. This, now I'm going to have to be talking shit loudly in your face all day. 
Well, we talked about this then, and I got all, I think we might have got miffed about it, but like, this is what happens. Listen, Shoreditch wankers that listen to this podcast, when you're out there sniffing lines and, you, and like the, the fuzz come round, <laughs> and, so and you very quickly have to put the lines down the toilet because you're scared, where do you think that goes? It doesn't go into a magical fairyland. It goes up the nose of an eel, and then the eel gets really hyperactive, and that makes it go down the wrong sex plug hole. I think more to the point, when you're weeing your wee with all your oh, lines right. in it, yeah, okay. and, yeah. and that wee is going in vast quantities into the River Thames, that's the problem. But um, And painkillers and stuff. One of the many, many ways in which, without meaning to, we are bastards. Right, so, okay. Okay. Here's what we have learned. In, in summary, summary they're, they're buggered. 95% well, is well, dropped. Yes, but also in summary, they're amazing, right? So I love learning. Thank you, Al. I don't think you've been tedious at all. I've not once had to play the F-sharp of truth at you. I think you've been informative and interesting. And you've genuinely taught me what a load of stuff that you've just learned about eels. And you've taught it in a way that makes me trust you. So well done. I love nature and how, like, weird it is. Hey, and isn't it sad to think that we could be about to lose all the eels and we've only just worked out where they shack? Like, think of all the other stuff we don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, everything you read about this stresses that there is just so much we still don't know, despite our extraordinary technology and everything else. And that is kind of... It's one of the really lovely things about them is their mystery. Mm. Oh, it's just sad that the only way we're going to save these buggers is oh. A, by like, you know, somehow reversing climate change or stopping it getting miles worse, which seems unlikely. Um, but even in doing that, we're going to have to like undo, uncover a lot of this mystery. We're going to have to find out exactly where they breed and exactly what they do in order to try and help. And, and that's a bit, wouldn't it be nicer if we could just sort of leave it all be? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, you should, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it, about all of this science? Like, and we've talked several, several times over the last eight years about isolated bits of conservation. I think conservation in general, and about how amazing bits of science has managed to get a species back from the brink. And now there's like six butterflies in a field where there were none. And generally what's been involved in that is like many, many people's PhDs and expertise and a lot of really dogged sort of finding stuff out and facts and learning. And eventually you learn enough to go, I reckon we can save this thing by doing this and you save it. But wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to do that? And we didn't, like, we could just go, there's eels. There was eels before. There are still eels. Be nice, wouldn't it? Do you think it's possible that we will lose all the eels all? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely it is. Um, certainly the European and the, and the American ones. I don't know about the other ones, but um, I mean, we laughed at the Egyptians and the English countryside six toes webbed feet lot with all their folklore and silly ideas. But I mean, at least they were living in a time where there were eels everywhere and they were quite happy, presumably, in their mad ideas about horses' hair turning into eels. Whereas you know, yes, we might have worked out what's really going on, but we've now got to deal with the, the grim reality of it. And this article by Brooke Jarvis, 
It finishes with the most amazing payoff, which I was going to try and paraphrase, but I'm just going to read it out because it's brilliant. She says, In our age of extinctions, every loss is like this. The disappearance not just of a creature from its ecosystem, but of all that we might learn about it, all that we invest in it, all its layers of meaning from our human future. To lose the eel is one grief, to lose the eel question, another. I bid you all a very fond farewell. Right, that is just about it for another species of huge. Left us on a downer there, didn't you all? Uh, No, everything's going to be fine. Oh, we still have hope. We still have hope. But if we just sign this petition. It'll be Here's fine. three things you can do in your life to arrest the decline of the eel. Number one, recycle. Yeah, quite. <laughs> anyway. Uh, no, thank you. It is the end of another episode of The Babble. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Brooke Jarvis. Thank you very much, Emily Finch, Dr. Emily Finch. Thank you very Emily. much, that weird dude in Denmark from 100 years ago, uh, for uh, just being mad about eels and piquing our interest. Thank you, Dave, as ever, for babbling and for restraining your use of the saxophone of harsh, crushing reality. Uh, thank you to Dickie Moore for the music that begins, ends and it twinkles this podcast and to Arthur Stovall for the logo, which uh, is all over our stuff, stuff including T-shirts that you can buy from our website, www.sustainababble.bish. You can get in touch with us and tell us what you thought of this show. We're on Facebook, just search Sustainababble. We're on the Twitter at The Babble Wagon. Or you can email us, hello, at sustainababble.fish. And hopefully your email will find its way through the PR guff. Um, <laughs> if you like what you heard, please go onto iTunes or another podcast medium of choice that has a similar functionality and give us a review. Five stars would be lovely. And write something with your hands saying how much you love The Babble. Yes? Superb. Right, I think that's it. Is that it? That's it. Oh, yeah. Superb. Well, I'm going to go and read the Book of Eels. Uh, what are you going to do? Um, I'm just going to limber myself up for a joke. See you back here in 20 oh, seconds. God. Bye. Bye. Hey, all. Hey, all. Yeah. Hey, all. Hey, all. Hey, all. Hey, old. Now then, you look like you need cheering up, old son. Do I? Yes. Is that obvious? Okay. Sounds like one of them adverts we do, doesn't it? Right, <laughs> now, uh, hey, old. My wife, Mrs. Dave, yeah? She, uh, she was shopping the other day and she saw a bow tie made of solid mahogany in the shop. Yeah? She saw it in the shop. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's a bow tie made of solid mahogany. Yeah. So, yeah. And and she said she nearly bought it for me, but but she didn't because she thought I probably yeah wouldn't wear it. And I said, "Wouldn't I?" <laughs>